This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, the podcast that introduces you to the rich world of storytellers who share their personal journeys, creative processes, and the stories behind their stories, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and I'm thrilled to be part of your writing journey. If you're an aspiring writer, a literary enthusiast, or simply someone who believes in the transformative power of words, you've come to the right place. Every week, we'll pop the cork on the world of successful storytellers and give you a healthy pour of inspiration, insight, and empowerment. My mission is to help writers like you realize your full potential through the transformative and therapeutic power of writing. Whether you're just starting your literary voyage or looking to refine your craft, I'm here to provide you with the knowledge, inspiration, and encouragement you need to embark on your own storytelling adventure. So, are you ready to uncork your story and let your creativity flow? Uncorking a story is about to begin. Sit back, relax, and let the transformative magic of storytelling whisk you away. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Uncorking a Story. I'm Mike Carlin, and I'm so happy to have you with me as I uncork another great story. I want to remind you to please follow Uncorking a Story on all socials, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us at Uncorking a Story on all of those platforms. And if you only listen to Uncorking a Story as an audio podcast, I encourage you to please watch us on YouTube as it's a great way to leave feedback for each episode as well as get each episode ad-free. So I encourage you to please subscribe to our YouTube channel by going to YouTube, searching for Uncorking a Story, and hitting subscribe. For you audio listeners out there, please subscribe, rate, and review Uncorking a Story wherever you get your podcast. Now, today on the show, we have author and screenwriter Iris Yamashita, who dreamed about being a writer from a very young age, but went to school for engineering. Talk about pivoting. We get into how she transitioned from being an engineer to working in Hollywood as a screenwriter and why she once again pivoted to writing novels. The big takeaway from this one, though, is that it's really never too late for you to start writing. In fact, many of the authors that I speak with who had success later in life tell me that there's no way they could have written something publishable when they were younger. Sometimes ideas just need more time to marinate, and sometimes you just need more life experience in order to find the inspiration you need to write something meaningful. So it's never too late to flex and strengthen that writing muscle of yours. So to borrow a phrase from Nike, just do it. As a reminder, my goal on Uncorking a Story is to help you become a better writer. And today's lesson is this. Don't let your age be an excuse for not putting some words on the page. I'll say it again. Just do it. Now, let's uncork Iris Yamashita's story. 
Iris Yamashita is an Academy Award-nominated screenwriter for the movie Letters from Iwo Jima. She has been working in Hollywood for 15 years, developing material for both film and streaming, has taught screenwriting at UCLA, and is an advocate of women and diversity in the entertainment industry. She joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her career and latest novel, Village in the Dark. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Iris. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, Iris, and I'm curious, uh, where does your story as an author begin? Well, I think um, probably like a lot of authors, I've always wanted to write um, since I was a little kid. And um, I was writing in my, in, in the first diary I got, I thought it was supposed to write about a fictional version of myself. So I put myself in like the 19th century and <laughs> I don't think that's what I was supposed to do. Um, but, um, I have Asian parents, so I actually majored in engineering, but I always, um, kept writing as, as a hobby. It was my minor, um, and then I, after I graduated with two engineering degrees, <laughs> I still continued to take night classes in writing. And so while I was working during the day, um, at night, I was taking creative writing classes. Um, I was trying to write a novel, but uh, I had a hard time actually finishing a novel. So then everybody in California is writing a screenplay. So I thought, well, let me give that a try. And so I started taking classes in screenwriting and I actually could finish screenplays. And then I um, started entering contests with, with uh, my finished screenplays and I won a contest where um, one of the judges was an agent at the Creative Artists Agency, which is um, CAA, which is like a huge um, talent agency. And, um, and then that's how I got my foot in the door and eventually got a job writing for Clint Eastwood, which was amazing. Um, but I think um, what happened was I, I kind of got pegged into this hole of uh, being the Asian historical writer. And so I kind of wanted to break out of the box. And the only way to do that, I thought, was to change um, media. So I actually, I had I had written a fantasy for um, Disney, and it, it actually had a run. It was, uh, it was a musical stage show, and it had a run at Tokyo Disney Sea. And then now I've jumped into books and now I can write um, contemporary murder mysteries. So it's been <laughs> really fun. Well, I'm curious, you, know, you mentioned having two engineering degrees. How do you go from kind of wanting to be a writer to kind of becoming an engineer? Because I think many people listening might be like, you know, those two things just don't go hand in hand. Although I have to say, I know there is a lot of creativity that might have to go into engineering. But um, just tell me a little bit about your decision to to pursue engineering. Um, I again, I had Asian parents <laughs> it was, it was not like the only jobs I could be, you know, was, I did um, bioengineering first because they wanted me to be a doctor. So I was thinking maybe pre-med um, bioengineering. And then um, after a, a dog lab, I said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> think I'm, I'm made for being a doctor. So I um, then switched to mechanical engineering. And I don't know if there's the only overlap I can think of is sometimes um, like when you're programming and you're 
you have to come up with the code and you don't know how you're going to do it. And you have to kind of just, you have a task and you have to do it. And it's so that kind of work ethic maybe crossed over, but I, I'm, I'm really not sure why. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember uh, I had the good fortune of interviewing Tess Gerritsen um, a few times over the years. And, you know, she, she created the Rizzoli and Isles series and uh, has, has gone on to written many, many, medical thrillers, as well as other types of books. And and she told me, you know, having Asian parents as well, um, she was discouraged from, from pursuing anything creative as a career. She actually wanted to join the FBI at one point, And somebody told her that, you know, the FBI doesn't take women into the FBI. Um, and then I think we, you know, she wound up, you know, founding, you know, having this wonderful career as a writer, but but it all kind of started similarly with, hey, you know, um, uh, there are these other expectations for for me that I have to follow. So it's almost like following someone else's dream for your life. When when you were able to to start writing and making a living um, writing, you know, through your writing, what, what was that like? I mean, how how was that? You know, how, how, what changed in your life as a result of that? Um, well, I. I quit my job, <laughs> but I didn't quit my job until I had a contract in hand. Um, so luckily, though, I had a, um, a boss who also wanted to be a writer. My immediate boss um, also wanted to be a writer. She also quit her job and also became a screenwriter. But uh, she would sort of let me go on these meetings. i say, oh, you know, I have this meeting with um, Clint Eastwood and... <laughs> I need to go. <laughs> and she would let me leave the office. And um, so it all worked out. Um, but my parents were uh, not impressed. Because <laughs> I said, when I told them I have, I have a job with Clint Eastwood, they were like, Who, who's Clint Eastwood? And so, <laughs> so they weren't as uh, thrilled as I, I was, because I, I was kind of, you know, I already had left the house and everything. And so um, I hadn't been keeping them up to date as to what I was doing. Uh, but I think my dad finally came around when he, he sort of invited himself to the Academy Awards as my, as my date. So <laughs> after that, he was on board. But, um, but yeah, I was very, I, I was sort of being very pragmatic. And I thought, no, I can't, I can't make a living. I'm not going to quit until I have a contract in hand and, um, you know, it's kind of certain that I can do this. Well, I also want to talk about your transition from, you know, screenwriting to, to writing a novel, um, and sort of the motivations behind that. And and also like the biggest differences you've noticed between, between the two mediums, because I know they are very different. Um, you know, I know many novelists who have a hard time writing, uh, for the screen, like adapting their work for the screen. It is a different skill set, it's a different way of thinking. And I know the, the, the opposite is true, too. You know, I know many screenwriters who have had a hard time with novelization. So what 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 was that sort of um, transition like for you? Um, I think for me, I, um, you know, at, as I said, I had I had been taking night classes while I was working. So I already uh, f- 
felt like I I had gone through the the learning process of writing a novel before I switched to screenwriting. But screenwriting was right; it was a whole different medium, and I had to um, learn the ropes on that. Um, but coming back to novels wasn't as hard for me because I had already taken classes. But I I taught screenwriting, and I can always tell the people who came from writing novels. And it it is a learning process. It's you have to. It is completely different. Um, even how you yeah how you write a screenplay where you don't use complete sentences where it's just sort of chopped up and just for quick reads. Um, so there there's definitely um, a learning process, and I do recommend like new writers if you're if you're coming from writing novels and you want to write screenplays to take classes for sure to learn to learn the nuts and bolts. Um, I uh, but I think learning screenwriting though also helped me cross back into writing novels because I learned some new set of tools such as you know a, like a three act structure. And um, what uh, what goes into building characters? So when I came back to writing novels, I could actually finish because I learned I learned structure and outlining and and a lot of other tool sets that that helped me when I came back. Yeah. So what can you share with us about Village in the Dark? So Village in the Dark is the second book in my um, Kara Kennedy series. And um, the first book called City Under One Roof is um, where we're introduced to the protagonist, Detective Kara Kennedy. And she's kind of she's haunted by the loss of her husband and her son, who she thought um, died in a in a hiking accident. And um, when in the first book, she goes to investigate a crime that she thinks might be related and then solves it and it and it's not related at all. But then at the very end of the first book, there's a clue that, well, maybe they are related somehow. <laughs> and so in the second book, um, it begins with her uh, actually digging up the graves of her husband and son because she's gotten some information where um, she, she believes there's foul play involved. And um, she will have to go back to that city under one roof in Alaska, which is inspired by a real city where everyone lives in the same building and there's only a one-way tunnel to go in and out. Um, but I also introduce a new setting. Um, it's it's an all-woman village. And uh, so I, I both books, I have sort of three voices and for Village in the Dark, we have, of course, a protagonist, and then we have um, someone who lives in the the city under one roof. Who she's the innkeeper, and she's sort of an older Bonnie and Clyde type. With uh, you know, she has a checkered past. Um, and then the third voice is a young woman from this village in the dark, which is an off the grid village that's run by women. And they all, they all have to, they, it's not unclear in the beginning how um, all their stories are connected, but uh, th through the mystery, you find out um, how they're related and, and how they have to, how like Ellie and um, the innkeeper and the detective have to team up. 
Well, it sounds uh, it very, uh, very exciting now. Is, is it advisable for readers to have read the first book before jumping into the second? I think it, w- it would be more enjoyable if they started with the first book and then um, and then read the second book. I, I do try to kind of, you know, give a recap in the second book um, for people who haven't read the first book. But I think overall it it. it it probably would be a better read if if you read the first one first. Sure. I know you mentioned kind of going and going back into to writing novels after writing screenplays was was you know somewhat of a um, um, a motivation because you were it sounds like you were pigeonholed perhaps um, you know when you know in in writing screenplays because of kind of who you are um, and what your what you had written about before. Um, did you find it was more freeing to write? novels than than screenplays uh yeah definitely i think um screenplays you're usually working off of um someone else's ip so you're you know maybe you're adapting a book or you're working on a remake of a film or you're or um there's a, the producer's vision or the producer's idea of something and then you're the writer for hire so that's that's how most of my projects have been because it's very hard to just sell um a original screenplay unless you know you're one of the the big you know the the top uh people in in Hollywood it's very hard to get an original screenplay um produced so most of the time you're working off of um something else and so writing a book is it's very liberating because it's all your idea it's your original content and um you're not trying to write someone else's vision so in that sense for definitely i think um writing books is is more liberating yeah i i would imagine liberating but at the same time it's there's a lot more on your shoulders because this is this is your idea and you know it it you you have to championship it champion it like across i mean i hate using sports metaphors but across the finish line i mean that's it's like you it's it's almost like more on your shoulders because there's not that producer there's not that you know filmmaker out there although i suppose you do have agents and and publishers who who might play those roles as well um yeah you definitely when you're writing a book you're everything you're the director the um the casting person you're the set designer you're all of that so it is a lot more work um i kind of remember the in the first book i hadn't given a description at all of my protagonist because in screenwriting it's it's just you don't know who's going to get cast so you just say like woman 40s or something you know like that very vague um whereas in books obviously you have to describe everything that you're seeing and so i hadn't described the um protagonist and they were um coming up with the book cover and the question was what does she look like <laughs> and i thought oh my goodness i've never described her once and i went back in and i edited and i added um a description but i i would say um with film um it's the the problem also is in producing because you you do have so many people involved you have a director producer uh um cast crew and everything and so it it costs millions of millions and you know hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes to produce a movie 
um, even low budget, it's like, you know, multiple millions and a lot of people involved. Whereas with a book, um, I think it's easier to have a finished product because it doesn't cost, it's not as much of an upfront investment as a film is. Um, but then the problem is that there are a lot of books that come out every year. So, <laughs> you know, you're kind of competing with like 2 million other books. Yeah. So how do you rise above that? So that's, that's kind of how I feel the difference is. Yeah. I think like writing, writing novels in many ways, authors are are, are like small business owners or entrepreneurs because and maybe maybe even closer to, to an entrepreneurial mindset because you know you're you're trying to create a white space idea you know something that that is a fresh story or in other words like a fresh product and you know you're responsible for the content of that product you know building it you're the assembly line or the the manufacturing line um, you are um, you're the well maybe you're not the cover designer but but certainly um, I'm sure you have input into it. Um, and I, I know independent authors, a lot of them try and do that themselves, which I always advise against, <laughs> but, um, it's, uh, it, but it is almost like running a small business because then you've got to promote it. Like once it's, once it's out there and, you know, I know that publishers help a little bit with promotion, but for the most part, most authors, um, you know, maybe not JK Rowling, but you know, most authors are, you know, pretty much responsible for, for advertising and marketing um, and, and getting the word out, you know, building, building buzz and, and PR and all that stuff. It's, it's a, it's a challenging, it's very challenging. And anyone who thinks that being an author is like a, a life of uh, ease is, uh, is sorely mistaken. I think. No, no, you're absolutely right. That's the part that I'm still learning is this marketing and promotion end, which is a lot of work. And I didn't know how much work goes into this. So that's, that is totally new for me. Because when you're, you know, in writing a film, I mean, you do a little bit, but it's not many people are that interested in the writer. <laughs> they want to see the director and the actors and, you know, so they bear the brunt of the, the in-person marketing and promotion, whereas, you know, the writers sometimes, but it's not, it's not as much work and it's usually all set up for you by the studio. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right about with books. Um, I definitely get a lot of help from the publisher, but um, right. You're, you're doing, you're constantly uh, doing your social media and you're <laughs> writing essays and articles and all of that. And uh, I, right. I thought, Oh my gosh, it's like another job. <laughs> right. You're, you're guest blogging and, um, yeah, just the social media part alone is, um, that could be a full time. Yeah, I, I did not, know? I was not a social media person at all before writing the first book. And then now it's like, Oh my gosh, I have to keep posting things. And my friends must, you know, they must be absolutely sick of all my <laughs> posts about the book. <laughs> right. Do you, um, do you still do any work in, in the film industry? Or are you still doing any, any writing of screenplays or? Um, yeah, you know, the, it, um, I had, I had some projects and then the strike came and it kind of, you know, then I was just, oh, I'm so glad I have the books because that's what I was focusing on. But during the strike, um, I was approached for a audio series and that, um, in, in this case, this audio series doesn't fall under the 
purview of the Writers Guild. So, um, cause they, uh, it's film and, um, streaming and audio, uh, podcasts. Um, there's, there's a little gray area and, and this, um, this pod, uh, it's BBC. So it's not, they're not even under the Writers Guild. So they gave me permission to work on the audio series. So I'm in the midst of that. It's like a six episode um, historical audio series for the BBC. Well, that's and cool. Hopefully it'll, yeah, it's very cool. Hopefully they say they want to, you know, have it air this in this fall. So knock on that, that I, I love a good. I love a good podcast audio series. I just love how the production of them has um, really, really. You got it's gotten very good, you know. Um, just listening to a storyo told by audio, um, you know, with the right narrator, with the right music, with the right editing, um, to me can be very, very captivating. I, I love it. Yeah, I, I love um, exploring different media. As I said, like I'm just trying out the a musical stage play and, and then the books and then now the audio, it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to try different things. Yeah. Um, well, I always like to ask my authors a couple of, uh, questions around pop culture, uh, just to get to know them a little bit more. Oh. <laughs> and I'm curious, um, thinking about your younger years, Iris, when you were a kid, did you have a favorite, you know, TV show or movie that, uh, that you enjoyed when you were a kid? Um, like a kid kid uh because i i was going to say um for the uh for my book I, I wasn't a kid i was in in college but um the twin peaks original oh, yeah, twin yeah, yeah. television series i i really loved and that i think crept in as some influence into my my two um mystery books. <laughs> I remember. So I had, I had a girlfriend from high school who for Halloween, uh, we were allowed to dress up for Halloween for Halloween, um, in school. She dressed up as Laura Palmer, uh, oh. <laughs> complete with like, she tried to make like a garbage bag into like a body bag. And then she glued sand all over her face. Oh my God. <laughs> she was very, she was a very dedicated twin peaks fan. At the time, I I was I was too. I actually went to um, Snow Snoqualmie Falls where they uh, the hotel was, and it, there was a waterfall. I I went to visit it. <laughs> but yeah, a very groundbreaking TV show at the time. I mean, there I don't remember there being really anything like that on TV at the time. It was really different. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of is like what's you know the streaming series now but back then in television it wasn't any it wasn't usually like that yeah, yeah. like a limited series kind of feel to it it wasn't um that yeah it was usually episode of the week kind of you know crime of the week kind of thing so yeah i let me see but as a kid kid what to, oh did you say books or film? Yeah, it could be books, film, movies, TV. I always liked as a kid, kid, as a kid, kid, I um, always liked the women writer books because you know, that was inspirational to me. Um, it's like, you know, like the little women, because there weren't many women writers in that time period. So you know, the Louisa May Alcott. And then I, I liked Anne of Green Gables because that was also 
a woman writer. So, uh, you know, those are things that I, I felt like helped me want to become a writer, knowing that there were women writers out there. Yeah, those early <laughs> early influences, early uh, early motivations. Um, yes. What about music? Uh, were you drawn to music as a kid? Uh, yeah, I really I liked all the '80s music stuff. <laughs> David Bowie, Queen, you know, all all the 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 great '80s hits. Those I loved them. <laughs> And of course, if you had Queen and David Bowie together doing Under Pressure, so. Oh, yes, I had that. I had that for sure. Um, <laughs> but I remember I was living in Guam for a while and um, I was always sad because I could never see a concert because they would, no one would visit Guam. <laughs> <laughs> not not big on the tour stops. No. That's right. Wham didn't quite make it to Guam back in uh, back in the eighties. No, 80s. no one made it to Guam. I think the only band that came to Guam, and I didn't see them. I think I was too young. Uh, it was in excess. Oh sure. I think, um, I, and, and I don't even remember if they gave a concert or not. I just remember there was all this talk about in excess coming to Guam. <laughs> it's a, it's a layover. From yeah, maybe it was just a layover. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> they needed a refuel, so they just stopped in Guam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what have you learned about yourself um, as a writer? Just just kind of going through the writing process, whether it's through screenplays or whether it's through you know your your novels. What what big insights did you have into yourself? You know, as as you're writing. Huh, that's interesting. I think um, I don't plan to put in like my uh, political thoughts or views, but they somehow do make it in there. <laughs> And then people pick up on it, which I think I'm even more surprised about because I try to make it a little, I don't know, maybe I don't successfully make it subtle. Like I think it, it just comes out. Um, but I, I have talked to um, people on the, <laughs> on the other side who, you know, were my test readers who got very upset over the, the smallest things. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> I'm really surprised that you were upset about that. Um, and then I get like people who pick up on it, who are on, you know, the same political spectrum as me, who who are just like thrilled about what I wrote. So um, that's interesting. It's sort of like, I, I think as an author, as a writer, we're supposed to sort of bring up questions, like ask questions, but not necessarily have the answers for it. Um, and I, I, I guess, um, it, I guess I do try to make some kind of statement, even though maybe I didn't originally intend to. Yeah. I mean, it is a subconscious thing. You know, I always like yeah. to think, even if you're writing fiction, you leave a little bit of yourself on each page. And uh, yes. I think it's a subconscious kind of working, working something out. But yeah, in a way, I'm not surprised that somebody who, who might have an opposing political view will will clue into that. Um, yes. I mean, that's just what our culture is, as as um, as sad as it might be. You know, people are like clued into, oh, my, this person doesn't think the way I think. Therefore, I must attack. 
And uh, yeah, uh, because I, it, you know, I have voices. I have three voices, and so obviously they and the voices have different political views. So I have the older lady, and then I have the young. Um, who, you know, she's like in the first book, she's a young Asian woman. So obviously she has a very different viewpoint from an older uh, white woman lady and (laughs) they have different political views, but just putting in her political view as a young uh, person, that's what I got like complaint about from my test reader Mm -hmm. And I just thought, but that's that's her. That's not me. I'm saying this is this is her POV. But clearly, it's also where I stand. <laughs> so maybe her POV came out like stronger than the other character. I, I'm not sure, but it's, it's very possible. interesting. It's, but it is just a symptom of of kind of where we are, you know. And it, yeah. it, it, it drives me nuts. Like anyone who thinks just even if you just think a little bit different, I find that if you don't subscribe wholeheartedly to you know, what, what somebody else believes, like they, they consider you an enemy sometimes. Of course, that's an extreme word, but it, um, it is just a symptom of where we are as a society. And, uh, as writers, we like to explore different, different points of view and different things. And I think we're, we might be more open to, to other points of view because we have to be empathetic and step into the shoes of other people as we're, as we're kind of going through, a writing process or thinking about characters or developing characters. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I always, I always think about, even when I'm writing, you know, the enemy, um, you want to step into their shoes and figure out why they think this way or, you know, what made them this way. Um, that's part of the writer's job, I think. And you, you try to find empathy with, with all with all sides and understand where everyone is coming from, I think. Right. Right. And in a way you've got to create, you know, these antagonists who have something that one might be able to relate to. Um, you right. know, they may not, they, they may be horrible people, but um, you've got to be invested in your antagonist too, because uh, yeah. otherwise it's uh, it can get a little boring perhaps. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that is important. Um, I'm curious if you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice into your younger self, you know, maybe it's that younger um, Iris who's, who's writing in that journal, writing fiction in a journal. Um, that's, it's meant to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, a journal. Um, what would you tell your younger self? Um, I think I would tell my younger self to, try uh harder earlier because <laughs> i started this career quite late and so maybe um yeah i think i think i didn't believe in myself as much and so it's sort of um i think with a lot of authors it's probably the same where where they're afraid to kind of try something new or to, or or you know step into this scary world and you just have to kind of, you just have to kind of believe in yourself and and go for it. You know, I'm wondering, um, you mentioned starting, you know, in, in the field a little bit later, do you think you would have been as successful if you, if you pushed when you were younger or, or did you need that time to, um, to really find your voice? And, um, yeah, that's, 
That's a good point. I think um, I think I, I I think it's not as good when people don't have um, experience experiences in other fields or other or you know have a job and um, just go straight into an MFA in writing and then from there just delve into to writing. <laughs> I mean, some people can do it, so kudos to them. But um, I think uh, you're right in that um, I think as an older, starting older, I probably handle rejection a little better <laughs> as opposed to, I think when you're young and it's like the end of the world, right? If you, if, if you get a rejection, whereas I think when you get older, it's sort of, you know, well, I have, I can, I, I'm still working. I do, I do give that advice. I say, don't quit your day job. I mean, <laughs> I think you can start earlier and, you know, get your feet wet, but you don't have to quit your day job. And I, I've read a number of um, articles of very successful authors who said they continued working um, even, you know, 10 books in before they actually quit their day job. So, because um, it is it is very scary to try to make money um, writing as your sole career. So, I mean, I think, you know, if you're if you're already wealthy <laughs> or if you have a husband who can support you, that's great. But if you don't, it's it's definitely not easy. And it's so I always say to my students, keep your day job <laughs> Right. You know, be, being an author doesn't come with a 401k plan. No, no. Yeah. That's the other difference in that the Writers Guild is part of a union. So when you're writing films, you do have like you, you can get health insurance if you make a minimum. Um, whereas with writing novels, there's no union, there's no health insurance. And so I, I think it's, it's harder to make money just writing novels, I think unless you're super, super successful, like Stephen King. That's right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a handful. <laughs> there's a handful, right, who, who can make a really good living doing it. But then there's the rest of us who, uh, who some of yeah, us have jobs. But, yeah, but I think at this point, I don't know how to do anything else. So it's, and that's why I'm also, you know, I think trying different media is is great. And I, I kind of did an analysis of all the different kinds of writing. And my conclusion was that if you can make a living writing uh, games, because <laughs> then you're part of a company and you get all the benefits, maybe that I've never tried that, but, and I think I'm too old, but maybe that's, that's a way in because you're, you know, you can write creatively and you can work for a company and it's, and it's um, stable. Because it's it's an actual company. Because even you, you know screenwriting is unstable. <laughs> That's true. Well, just look. I mean, that writer strike lasted longer than I think a lot of people thought it would have. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like with screenwriting, you're in you're constantly interviewing. It's like every time you finish a project, then it's like you you've lost your job and you have to go up for hire again. So you're interviewing again, and that's what it feels like. It's just like a constant. You're interviewing for a job. And it's it gets tiring. Yeah. Well, Iris, um, where can people pick up a copy of Village in the Dark? You can pick it up wherever books are sold. Um, and if you're in California, I will be 
at Vroman's in Pasadena on February 13th, which is the release date. So look that up. Um, but yeah, indie bookstores, any anywhere you can, your favorite bookstore, you can order online. And if people want to learn more about you, do you have a website or some social media you can share with the audience? Yes, my uh, website is irisyamashita.com. It's, the last name is Y-A-M-A-S-H-I-T-A.com. And all my links to my um, social media are on the webpage. Very good. I'll be sure to put all of that in our show notes so people can just look that up and tap on their phones or whatever device they're using to listen to this and uh, and and look you up and buy your book. Iris, thank you so much for stopping by and corking a story and letting me uncork yours. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.